At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Everybody, welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Healthcare Americana is a podcast for the 99% of people who get healthcare in America. We're not clinicians or policymakers. We're patients and caregivers, executives and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations across America that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. Today's episode is going to be centered around a lot of what we hear in the news about labor shortages, specifically labor shortages in the healthcare world. Helping us through the subject and bringing his expertise to the episode is CareCloud CEO, Hadi Chaudhry. Hadi, welcome to the show. Thanks for bringing your expertise here to help us through the subject matter. Thank you, Chris. Uh, and then thank you for having me as part of your show. Let me first talk about quickly a, a bit, first of all, about the company, uh, that who we are. Uh, so I'm the, 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 the chief executive officer of uh, the company CareCloud. We were founded in year 2000 and we went public in, in 2014. We are listed on NASDAQ. And we are providing industry-leading software platforms across clinical, financial, and patient experience for the large to small healthcare organization in this space. We have about a roughly 4,000 global employees workforce with over 500, 600 IT and R&D team members. We do provide services to about 40,000 providers today all across the United States for about 70 plus uh, medical specialties. Uh, we serve roughly 2,600 large to small medical practices, the hospitals, the health system nationwide. So this little bit about ourselves, and I think that will uh, give some perspective when, when we're going to talk about that, how, what's the perspective, how do we look at it from the labor shortage perspective, and but how do I feel and, and we feel that what are some of the solutions that can be leveraged? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I appreciate you, you know, giving a little bit of background there because uh, I was going to be asking about it anyways, because I don't want somebody to pick, a, pick this episode and be like, well, who the heck is this guy? Why should I listen to him? Why is he on the show? So I, I wanted to, to dive into that because kind of what I mentioned in the introduction is we see a lot of these headlines. And, and again, uh, in this day and age, people have their own opinions of what journalism is and how you actually define it and how you actually practice it. But we see these, we see hospitals at capacity, but we see nurses and physicians getting laid off in droves or refusing to, you know, go work at certain places, all in the context of we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Who's really providing care? Where are these shortages coming from? And ultimately, how are offices and how are healthcare organizations managing this amount of turnover? And ultimately, what does that mean for us? So I just threw a lot at you right there. I'll let you react to it as you see fit here. But, um, you know, once again, this seems like this is something that's right up your alley. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Chris. And let me actually, first of all, just zoom out and, and talk about the overall U.S. economy. And then let's get into more numbers from the, from the healthcare sector perspective. So if you talk about 2021, 
a record number of people quit their jobs. And as per the data, it's over 40 million as per the data that has been published. And there is a record of nearly 11 million unfilled job openings. Most recent report of the National Federation of Small Businesses has been published there. And then there are a major part of that number is coming from the healthcare sector. And if we now talk about and get a little more details in terms of the healthcare-related numbers, more than a quarter of 5,000 hospitals nationwide report a critical shortage. And some states are requiring even asymptomatic COVID-positive healthcare providers to return to hospital work. And in New Jersey, nearly 6,000 hospital staff members across the state have gotten COVID since Christmas. The state is asking its National Guard and FEMA for help with the staffing needs. 48% of physicians and 68% of nurses reported feeling burned out. And there's one of the surveys published according to that survey of Mayo Clinic in December 2021. One in three physicians and two in five nurses indicated they intended to leave their practice during uh, the next 24 months. That's also part of the survey published by Mayo Clinic. And when it comes to the reason for why, three-fourths of that indicate that they feel undervalued and burned out, according to the same survey, which was in, in, in December 2021. Jeez. One in three healthcare providers, uh, which when I say healthcare providers, it's the doctors, nurses, advanced practice providers, all of them included, intend to reduce their hours during the next year. 66% of critical and acute care nurses have considered leaving the nursing profession compared to pre-pandemic average of about 20%. Uh, this is one of the surveys that was published by American Association of Critical Care Nurses. And then between 35 and 54% of American nurses and physicians were already feeling burned out before the pandemic. So even if you go back before that time frame, uh, that was the number. Yeah. And, and I just want to catch our breath there because what you're painting in that picture with those numbers is something that not even, I, I didn't even know it was that severe. I knew it was bad, but goodness gracious. The average American hears that. And what's their response? I'm just curious, you know, from a patient standpoint, what are people supposed to think knowing that if they get sick, anywhere from a third to half the people that they interact with don't really want to be there right now? Right, right. And that's where I think how the world is coping and how this whole healthcare sector is, seems to be coping with, or some of the things, the way it's working to improve the overall situation. So one way is, yes, to keep focusing on, focusing on the, the conventional way of retaining the employees, uh, mm -hmm. make sure you have the competitive salaries, make sure you make the staff feel appreciated, and, and so on and so on. But on the other side, there are other couple of aspects that we believe the, the practices and the hospitals and the caregivers should seriously consider, which is, for example, consider outsourcing your certain mundane or other related tasks to the industry experts, which have been in the, doing the same things for years and years, and they can do it in a much different scale and can reduce the time spent by, by your staff members. And you can, you can actually more focus towards caregiving and, and, and seeing the patients. And the other side is adaption of the technology and the automation. So I will try to step more, put some more focus on the, the technology and the automation on, 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 uh, and on that side. If you go back for five years, six years, the government increased the efforts towards the adaption of the technology when it comes to electronic health record software practice management software and the like. There were incentives aligned with the use of the EHR software and some penalties if you're 
if you're intent not to use the software. So that drove over the last number of years, the adaption of the technology towards use of the EHR and then and, and the systems and the like. And if you think about it, let's go back um, five years before, if we take an example of a simple prescription, if, you're, if your practice is not using an EHR system, you will be writing a prescription on a piece of paper. The patient will take that piece of paper, go to the pharmacy, drop it, and then will come back again to collect the, uh, your prescription, your medicine. With an electronic prescription, which is part of the certified EHR system, which is since if your practice is adapted to that technology, you can just write the prescription electronically right there and it goes to the pharmacy virtually at the same instance. Patient goes to the pharmacy, just go and collect the medicine. And even if it's the next level is, just use the, the app if the pharmacy has provided you and can even get that home delivered. So mm-hmm. that cut the time spent for the, from the patient perspective and also from the staff perspective by use of that technology. Now, the one challenge during the one was so the adaption of the technology from the patient perspective. How would you force the patient to start using the patient health records, for example, or the apps that patient can use to either schedule patient or a telehealth session with the provider and so on and so on. Because of this pandemic, I think that helped improve that adaption rate in the patients. Because if you are at the home now and you were sick during the pandemic, you could now use that app to connect to your provider. And if, if it's that's providing a, a telehealth option, you can connect to your provider using a telehealth session instead of trying to schedule an on-site visit with the practice. And I can share some of those numbers to support that, which is when we, if we go back and look at our numbers, because we provide the services to across the United States and almost every single state, our telehealth session, what we see increased by 114 times if we compare it before the pandemic. Now, from the doctor's perspective, the staff can handle more patients without have to go through the check-in, the registering the patient, entering the data, and then getting the patient in front of the doctor. So all that or most of that steps get eliminated with the help of use of that technology. Well, it seems, and I totally agree with what you're saying there from you know, going back to what you said originally is that there's a lot of mundane tasks that can be automated or offloaded completely. And we see that from our side in Freedom Health Works. It's like when we were talking about doctors entering back into independent medicine, you know, you don't have to go do everything yourself. There are experts out there who have a process that walks along. It's very, very successful. So totally understand, you know, you're preaching to the choir on that one, but dealing specifically with technology adoption of patients during the pandemic, which you know, it's a very interesting topic in itself. It felt like there wasn't not necessarily an incentive, but a push from the healthcare providers and the doctors saying, hey, you need to go download this until reimbursement models changed. I mean, for the longest time, telehealth visits weren't going to be paying you anything for, you know, a patient that you have to bring into the office to see. Did you see a lot of those influences start to change? I mean, you know, people are going to follow the money. It is a business. It is, it is an industry. And so that's where we saw a lot of that shift was that during the pandemic, when, when offices were closed, people couldn't come in to get the in-person visits. And that was the only way to get, you know, I hate this term, but reimbursement from insurance companies if you operated in that manner. So I, I guess there was really no incentive for, for physicians to say, hey, patient, I need you to go download this so you can keep track of everything, not just to make sure it's all accurate, but you know, there's, there's money involved there too. 
Very good point. Uh, and yes, that's a, it's, it's a, on one aspect, it's a paradigm shift on the, from the patient and the doctor's perspective. And this COVID helped the whole world go through along with many other changes in the healthcare the sector and the side as well. Kind of catch it, kind of caught it up a little bit. Like Skype's been around for 20 years. Why have we never it, used it? <laughs> it exactly. And the similar like the, the, the Zooms. Uh, so the two years back, how many percent of the people knew about the Zoom or similar other uh, the video conferencing, uh, the tools, but after the pandemic, most of the people, when they start working from home, even the, the, the students, the kids, they're connecting on their classes over the video links now. So in the same way, yes, the reimbursement rates, if you think about it during the pandemic, based on the government initiative, the reimbursement rates during the public health emergency was almost went up to the same level, which you would have otherwise being reimbursed in a, in a regular course of uh, seeing a patient. So that absolutely supported that. And then that triggered that increased the pace of adaption of the technology on the provider offices, practices, and at the, on the patient sites as well at the same time. And we do see that after the public health emergency ends, that some of that reimbursement rate would either continue at the same or similar level because there is no point of going back to completely what it used to be pre-pandemic uh, sure. at, that, that, at those levels. And, and there's a point to this line of questioning, you know, getting back to our original topic here, because somebody would, would sit here and say, okay, so when physicians can now earn something that is near or equal to, you know, revenue from a virtual to an in-person visit, that demand on their time and their profession is going to decrease because they're able to build out a schedule intelligently. Was that true? Is that what you've seen? Because, you know, again, talking about labor shortages in healthcare, it seems like those two principles are at odds with one another. Right, right. That's correct. So from, from the patient perspective, they can schedule more and more appointments through their apps and the portals now. They are more flexible in, in conducting a, a remote visit versus a, a physical visit with the, the, with, the, with the doctor. And on the doctor's side, when it comes to the, the stress and the, the staffing needs on, the, on their side, the same doctor can conduct let's say can see more patients without the need of a front desk person or one less nurse and so on and so on. And if we keep talking and thinking of this about further, this has opened the doors for many other, the next level technologies, for example, the wearable devices, the remote patient monitoring, the chronic care management. Now with the help of your basic smartwatches, your basic vitals can be connected through the, through the apps and can fed into the electronic health system being used by the doctors. So that's on, on the both sides to your point, the things are improving and yeah. that helps in reducing the burdens and the staff burnout. And then over the time, the things should keep on improving. Yeah. So I'm curious. So what's forming in my mind is that access, the barriers to access are decreasing exponentially no matter what model physicians are in, but virtual and really technology, like you mentioned, are really increasing awareness from a patient standpoint, putting patients back in control of it, lowering the barriers to access. You know, even if you need something, just kind of a peace of mind, don't really need an actual physical exam, but need to have a quick chat with a, with a physician or a nurse. So where is, I guess the question comes down to it, where are we seeing the biggest pain points when we have nurses and physicians walking out of hospitals because everything that we focused on sounds like it would be making life easier. And that's not exactly reality. What are you guys seeing? Right, right. And actually, if I can maybe hit on, uh, on one more area. Please. Uh, 
the, we just we, we talked about let's say the uh, just the telehealth session or the related things there are tasks the mundane tasks that can be taken over by the virtual employees for example which in, in the more technical terms can be called the robotic process automation bots and with, with that more specifically talking about it in a typical scenario a patient goes to the doctor the front desk picks up the phone or use their system to check the legibility of that patient so that's one task the front desk has to go through to make before the patient sees the doctor to make sure from the reimbursement standpoint that either the money will be collected or how much the patient would owe so they can they can see if it's covered or not mm-hmm. with the deployment of a good efficient robotic process automation bot that bot can keep on checking the legibility of scheduled patients 24/7 and can collect the information and feed it to the system before the patient arrives so basically you eliminated the task of that employee altogether and that reduces the stress and the burden on that one front desk employee or by collecting the vitals or part of that vitals through the wearable devices the nurse will have to do less amount of work at the time of checking in the patient so one side the virtual employees or the uh, the robotic process automation and with the help of the other ai capabilities will keep on improving the stress and the amount of hours and the mundane task that the staff has to do today so that will keep on improving mm-hmm. and this is can help in, on on that side yeah and i get it too for the process automation side of it there's a lot of little things inputs that doesn't exactly need somebody as advanced and educated as a physician sitting there working on it. So addressing, you know, moving, moving down that line, we mentioned the B word earlier on in the episode, burnout, right? Everybody's got a little bit of different definition about what that means. Where's your opinions on what is really effectuating physician burnout as we know and understand it here in the new year of 2022? I think one is being caused by the same, which is the less number of staff members available. So on one side, they're trying to get back on track in terms of the number of staff members that they need, whether it's the nurses, whether it's the front desk staff members, and so on and so on. During the COVID, as we all know, because of the people getting infected, family issues, started leaving the jobs. And even in, in some cases, when the support was available from the state perspective in terms of some of the pay catch-up, so they can still keep on earning some money and can stay home. and that's now they are trying to go back up to the same level on one side from the patient side so the revenue is coming back but on the other side the staff level has not gone back to the same level so i think that's the stress that they are trying to manage the one way is keep using and utilizing the same convention old, old ways of now let's find my another the new nurse at the higher salary because you will keep hearing on from every side the pay raise the base rates are continuously being increasing it's more and more competition so it's getting more and more difficult to backfill those positions so if you if the practices can find the right balance between outsourcing or uh, giving the work the mundane tasks to someone who is an expert in that area whether that's Uh, the medical billing the revenue cycle management coding credentialing and all of those things and on the other side adapting to the these technology whether it's the telehealth whether it's the subcategories of telehealth which could be the chronic care management which could even be the remote patient monitoring and then more uh, advanced tools such as these robotic process automation robotic the bots which can be deployed and conduct many of the day to day tasks there and then using some of the business intelligence tools a good business intelligence tool which can guide the provider 
The same provider can look at, for example, in their own area, same specialty, similar kind of the practice, how much patient they are seeing, what kind of the procedures they are performing. So they can share the, the, the data, some of the benchmarks from that area, and the BI tool can, can guide the provider what kind of, for example, the insurances that you should be going for, which one you should be participating versus non-participating, looking at their reimbursement rates and the type of the demographic there. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a combination if they can keep focusing on adaption of the technology, the new ways of doing the things, finding the roles that can be given to someone who knows better, who are the experts in that area. And then, yes, keep focusing on improving the retention of the existing staff, which if they keep on innovating, the retention will improve anyway because of uh, the, uh, that, uh, that innovation that will come in will keep the staff motivated, the new ways of doing the things. So all this package together will improve the overall uh, the employment situation, staffing situation. It's it's using technology in a way that actually helps out the people who need it most, like the physicians, the nurses, rather than, you know, we, we talked about EMRs a little bit before, and I think the vast majority of medical professionals will view EMRs as, as overly burdensome in a lot of different ways. And you're checking boxes for basically to get maximum reimbursement out of it uh, for a lot of those systems. But what you just described is more of an operations kind of a boost. I, I would say it helps spur operations along so that you're actually spending less time doing menial tasks. So I always want to frame technology discussions in that manner of saying, no, this will actually help you save money rather than this is going to overly complicate your interaction with any type of a patient and uh, show that, hey, technology can be a good thing, right? Data can be a good thing if used and applied and gathered in a way that actually helps people you know, keep their sanity. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, I, that's absolutely. the lens that I always look at it through. No, I think you just hit it absolutely at the right point. That's exactly what it is. Sometimes they just look at it in a very limited vision, very the mm-hmm. tunnel vision. Okay, use of the EMR that will increase my time, my staff time. But use of EMR is just the one step. There are so many things around it. So if you start using that EHR, which is the first fundamental step, then your business can have, your overall practice can have much other benefits and at the level of the care that you're providing to the patient. That will improve as well as your business practice will improve. Right. That makes a total sense. Would we be where we are right now, maybe even having this conversation, if there was no pandemic? Or was there just a demographic landslide that was going to happen anyways to put us into this position? A great question. It absolutely would have happened. The evolution was already taking place. I think the, the world was hit with this pandemic uh, sort of up to a certain extent unprepared. And together we have figured out a way and, and, and quickly all of a sudden going into the lockdowns and starting to find the, quickly the creative ways of still continuing the life, whether it's the, the schooling of the kids, whether it's how to keep the business operating. So everything got a boost, absolutely. So the situation got worse quickly too much because of the pandemic, which opened the ways, the doors, uh, the creativity, uh, the automation and technology to push through in, in terms of adaption for, for all the businesses. So yes, so on one, one side, it has created all of a sudden a different level of urgency. And then that has, that is triggering and improving and helping us going through this paradigm shift. 
Yeah, it, it, so it sounds like it kind of accelerated it. Uh, nobody saw it coming, and, and unfortunately, a lot of a lot of disastrous consequences there. But you know, we talk about the baby boomers; they're getting older, more chronic uh, conditions happening and popping up. So, I've always been curious about this. You know, what would life be like if there wasn't a pandemic for the last two years, three years, I guess? Always an interesting question. Kind of kind of ask somebody and say, you know, where would you guys be from this? Um, have you seen a higher adoption rate through the pandemic than previously? Absolutely. As I mentioned, even if I, I was just sharing this one example of the uh, telehealth appointments, it's being driven from initially by the patient. They start looking for because they cannot see the doctor. So they will go on online and trying to find the doctor which are available on a telehealth session. So if we think about the appointments, and if I share some of the numbers, before pandemic, our appointment numbers, telehealth number was one-tenth of one percent of our overall appointments. One-tenth of one percent? One percent of the overall <laughs> wow. appointments. That wow. was pre-pandemic numbers. During the pandemic, that number went up to somewhere between 25 to 30 percent of the overall appointments. And now, at this stage, we are looking at number to be stabilizing somewhere around 6-7%. And this is I'm talking about in terms of the percent of the total appointments. And in terms of the, if we, if we talk about the increase in the, in the appointments by itself, so I mentioned earlier, it's 114 times increase in the number of telehealth appointments. And then there are a number of the specialties, specialty specific, such as behavioral health, if we talk about it. We can see a VC of 400 times increase in the behavioral health appointments towards the telehealth. Because if you really think about it for behavioral health, why do you even need to be sitting in front of the doctor in person? Maybe for one visit, but for all the subsequent visits, you, you don't have to actually. Oh, mental health, emotional health. I mean, you, you name it in there. It's exactly. all about access at this point. Right. So this is this is absolutely the, it has improved the adaption rate significantly, and this pandemic is, is, has helped along with the other government initiatives some of these things. From uh, and, I mean, there are doctor hundred so many other bad things that has happened because of the pandemic, but that has given us an opportunity as a human beings to find creative ways to find the solution to different problems. So now I'm curious because you, you threw a bunch of numbers at me and I'm a, a curious person who likes to ask a bunch of questions. So it went from one-tenth to 1%, all the way up to 30 to 35%. And you said you're, we're seeing it normalize in the 7 seven to 8% of visits. Why did it come down? If that was effective and working for people, why are we seeing the decrease? Right. So during the pandemic, when everything was completely locked down, so there was no other opportunity for anyone. So the only way for most of the part to, to, to have a visit was a virtual visit. So if there was a visit, it was the only way to conduct the mm -hmm. visit. And some of the others, if you think about from the denominator perspective, for example, elective surgeries, all of those were on hold. So today, those surgeries are back. So they are, they are still being performed now. So the denominator number has, has significantly increased as well. So okay. that's why if you relate the two numbers together on one side, increase in the number of appointment is like today settled down at 114 times. And still an increase, but in terms of the percent of the overall appointment, the number is somewhere stabilized about six, seven percent. And this should yeah. improve. This will improve going forward as now more and more there will be a further adaption of the uh, whether it's the telehealth or and similar other related technologies. Yeah, from a direct care standpoint, I mean, we see anywhere from 60 to 75 percent of all interactions are virtual or text based. 
So I, I totally understand the value of having a doctor there to be able to answer calls and, and ask questions. But from what I'm hearing from what you said is, you know, the raw number of appointments, the virtual appointments hasn't declined that much. It's all that other stuff that was on hold has picked back up. So it's hard to do a virtual knee surgery. So I, I understand the point you're making there. Um, I want to give you, give you the last word here. Where do you see healthcare, kind of crystal ball moment, where do you see healthcare in the United States going from today? Where are we going in the next couple of years? Uh, good, good question. So my perspective would be, there will be more and more shift towards the use of virtual healthcare. And when I say virtual healthcare, it's top of the list is the telehealth and there are other connected related facilities as a technology, such as the, the chronic care management, the remote patient monitoring is going to get a lot of attraction over the next couple of years. The, the more and more of these technology wearable devices are becoming available, you may not need to be connected and checking your patients all the time. It's just like the same, you, you're monitoring, for example, 100 patients, and as far as the, their conditions are normal, you don't need to worry about it. If there is a condition, if there is a pulse rate change, an alert can be fired and that, that gets uh, notified to the doctor and again. So, but, so the, we can see a more and more adaption towards this, uh, this chain. We do see a lot of, on the robotic side, on the automation side, the, the, the process automation side, the many of the tasks will be converted instead of and change instead of the human being performing those tasks towards the, the use of the virtual employees or the bots that will be taking it over. And the third thing is the more and more use towards the business intelligence tools, effective business intelligence tool, which can help the practices and guide them to take the further, the better decisions. But from the healthcare perspective, the more and more use shift towards the use of technology tool, whether it's the EHR system, whether it's the remote uh, virtual care related tools, the business intelligence tools, and more and more elimination of the mundane tasks. It's almost taking a page out of the playbook of advanced manufacturing. And, and what you described there was basically what can be described as just-in-time healthcare. Gosh, I get excited about that. Of course, you know, I nerd out a lot uh, on these different types of episodes and different kinds of conversations. But it's interesting to see, you know, from my perspective, how far behind healthcare was as an industry. And all of a sudden, boom, you have this really quick catch-up period. And then it's like everybody just paused to collect their breath. And all of a sudden, all right. Where are we going to go from here? So I love the vision that you laid out there. That makes me excited you know, for the future. I think a lot of people are very negative on, on healthcare and, and what it means just you know, from a micro standpoint. But you look at the big picture at what organizations such as CareCloud are able to do. And uh, you know, it gives, gives people hope out there that better things are uh, on the horizon for sure. Absolutely. So much. I mean, it's, it's so much more. I mean, I, I'm a, we, we talked about more towards the, the basic use of the, the software or how to best the, 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 to connect with the patient or identify and treat the patient. But even the robotic surgeries, for example, so that's the next, those are the next level things that the more and more becoming more and more common. So uh, the more surgeries can be performed because of this advanced technology. And uh, you may not need to have that many centers or the places from where those surgery needs to be conducted with the robotic surgeries, the more patient can be, uh, the surgeries can be performed. So there's so much happening from the advancement and the technology side in the healthcare space. Once again, that's Hadi Chaudhry, CEO of CareCloud. Wish you all the best. And uh, it's been a great conversation and hopefully we are a lot of value for people. And I'm very excited for what you guys are doing in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks uh, once again. Thanks for having me over. Thank you. 
That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Be sure to follow us online, all the social media channels, subscribe to the podcast, become a regular listener and help spread the word about what we're doing here and all the stories that we're telling. Until next time, thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.